I know that some in our audience know the finer points of hockey. The Chris Johnston Show. We are your friends. The biggest stories, bringing you inside the game. What did you hear? The Chris Johnston Show, powered by Sports Interaction. Want to bet? What is going on? Here's Chris with your host, Julian McKenzie. Part of the game. Moments before uh, we got going on a recording of the CJ Show for Thursday, a lot of news coming out of Calgary. Some reports coming from uh, Frank Saravalli that Noah Hannafin, well, we kind of knew that that was out there, that he wouldn't be back. But Michael Backlund might not want to return. And Elias Lindholm might not want to return. And even AHL Coach of the Year with the Calgary Wranglers, Mitch Love, looks as if he's going to be taking a job with the Washington Capitals on their coaching staff. That's a lot of news for Flames fans to process, Siege. <laughs> Well, look, I mean, this has been, uh, I, I guess I call it a developing story or a story where, you know, it was pretty clear that, that Craig Conroy getting elevated into the position of general manager had some big, big things on his file to take care of right away. This wasn't a, a situation where he was just easing into a job. And I, and I think it's going to be a real test for him to figure out the best way forward here. And, you know, my understanding of the Lindholm situation, which I have mentioned on the show, is that. I don't, I don't think he's completely ruled out a return to Calgary. I mean, that, that might be what's happened here in the last day or so. I haven't been able to get an update there. But I know he certainly entered this offseason open to hearing what, to what the Flames had to say, to, to discussing a contract extension with them to see, you know, what they were thinking there. And, and you know, I don't think he entered this offseason, put it this way, or I know he didn't, 100% ruling out a return to Calgary. I think, you know, the Hannafin case is more cut and dried. He's got one year left on his contract. Uh, he's communicated to the Flames. He's not going to sign a long-term extension. Kind of falls into the the class of players like Pierre-Luc Dubois, Alex Dabrinkit. Um, you know, not necessarily any animosity there. And there's a chance one or all those players, in theory, could be back in their current place if, if a trade doesn't look good this summer. But they're basically signal that they're going to test free agency uh, a year from now if they're not moved ahead of that. Um, you know, Backlund, I think that there's an emotional attachment there. For the Flames, obviously just spending so much time in that community with that organization, really well-respected guy. But, you know, at age 35, you know, maybe he wants to go somewhere else to chase a Stanley Cup, not knowing what, what he's got left in the tank in terms of how many years. You know, I think that that's maybe a little different situation than Lindholm, who you're, you're talking about your top center. Uh, and so that that is an asset question. If he's not signing this offseason, I think you have no choice but to – uh, aggressively search the market to see what you can get. And you add it all together, it's just a lot of decisions. It's hard to imagine everybody being traded. I mean, I'm sure that sentiment will exist, especially in the aftermath when, when news like this all comes out in, in a sort of, in a big batch. I'm sure everyone is running around with their head on fire saying, you got to trade everything. You got to get what you can. I think reasonably, you know, you, you're probably going into the season with some of these players, even if they aren't signing an extension, but we'll have to see you know, how Craig Conroy uh, proceeds on that one. And as I say, it's, it's a lot It's a lot to have heaped on your plate when you're first uh, stepping into the GM's role. I can understand if you have Chris Tanev playing on an expiring contract. I know you're not necessarily saying what I'm about to say, but I can understand guys like him and, and, and Oliver Shillington, maybe you, you, you think about it a little bit more. If you're Craig Conroy with the draft coming up and Elias Lindholm, if it's true that he wants to leave, if it's true that Noah Hannafin wants to leave, if it's true even that Michael Backlund wants to leave, Tyler Toffoli is still a wild card in all of this. You have to find a way to aggressively retool and get assets for those players at the draft. You cannot leave that 
until next season. There is an opportunity for Craig Conroy right though? now. I mean, oh, they still I know have you know that. But what I'm saying is they, they are still assets at the trade deadline too. Like you, it, you're not making five trades, I don't think, in the next week. I mean, if, if they do, I'll tip your hat. But th- these are complicated trades, right? I mean, if you're trading for Elias Lindholm, you're probably doing it knowing he's willing to sign an extension. And so you're basically, you got to have a team, an agent, a player, all working together to find the best fit. I mean, these are just not deals that come together. I mean, I'm sure there's the odd case. It comes together really seamlessly. But in, in general, th- those are tough trades to make. I mean, this is where it will get hard. Is I, I don't know what you can do before the draft. I mean, maybe you're tra- making one or two deals, but I, I don't see you trading away all these key veteran pieces of the team you know between now and and next wednesday or thursday i I guess it's just something has to be done i mean how many gms have we seen in this particular situation where so many of these high quality players in a in a time where if you keep them together you find a way to hold up whatever contention window you have up like how, how many gms have been in this type of situation like this is i think matt larkin of of uh Daily Faceoff. I don't remember which outlet he said, but but he's at. But he made a really good tweet about this, saying he basically is playing GM mode on like hard. Like this is this is a really tough situation for Craig Conroy. We have to admit that for sure. Because I don't know. I mean, look at what are you worried about if you bring some or all of these guys back, even if they're unexpiring deals. You're worried about how that might affect the rest of the team. Obviously, mm-hmm. it will change the discussion around the team. It's a it's a big challenge for your head coach Ryan Husko, who you've just put into his first head coaching position. I mean, there's strain there. I mean, ultimately, I think when you when you're in Craig Conroy's office and and, and with his, you know, assistants, they gotta kind of tune out the noise and be like, what is the best way to manage these assets? What's the best for the organization? Um, I don't I don't think it's it's panic trading them all right now though. I really don't. And and you know that's that's that'll be the interesting part of the Lindholm um, discussion here is you know, as of this recording, I don't think he's fully closed the book on the Flames. But, you know, maybe it's it's he's not sure if he wants to stay or, you know, maybe it's some, you know, wrangling over the offer. I think I think there's a few dynamics that could be a play there. Um, but if he tells you definitively he's just not going to sign beyond next season with your organization, I'm, to me, that's the asset you really have to to aggressively shop because look at this free agent class, Julian, there's, there's mm-hmm. not a lot of impact centermen to be found there. I mean, there's, there's some older players um, that, that you're, you're probably signing to be a third or fourth line center. Um, you know, Ryan O'Reilly might be, I guess that the top centerman will say uh, in, in the, the UFA class, he's 32 years old, you know, so there's not a lot of certainty to be found in terms of improvements elsewhere. And teams just typically aren't trading Top line centers. I mean, it happens from time to time. Jack Eichel was it was traded. Remember, there's a very specific circumstance behind that deal that saw him go from Buffalo to Vegas. Um, you know, I think Lindholm is the piece that you can you can really hit a home run with, and you really can't afford to be wrong on, especially if he's going to work with you. I think that that's key too. Is if you're if you're in the flame side of this, you got to work with the player and find somewhere he's going to you know sign a long term deal because that's how you're going to maximize your return. I mean, that's what the Ottawa Senators are doing with Alex Dabrinkit. You know, they're, they're, they're talking to the Detroit Red Wings, right? Detroit is, is home uh, for Dabrinkit, and it's a place he would sign long-term. They're, they're working with the player. I think that that's, that's where this has to shift. If he gets to that point where he's 100% out, as I know right now, I don't think he's 100% out on the Calgary, though. That's Of all the players, though, uh, that are going to be pending free agents for that team, like there may be some guys you can leave it to the trade deadline. You cannot do that 
with Elias Lindholm. There's, I, I think under any circumstance, if you let that contract get into the season, you are playing a very dangerous game. And, and not to be hysterical about this, you are basically asking to be in a position where you repeat, you get a repeat of Johnny Gaudreau. And you can't have well, that with this franchise. And how are you competitive without him? Exactly. I mean, you'll be competitive, but like, I mean, how, how this is a team that missed the playoffs last year with him, right? I mean, where, where is the bar of expectation set if you're getting rid of a player like that? Because you're probably not getting better in the short term. Now, maybe you're making a futures type deal that could be good for the Calgary Flames for a long time. I mean, this doesn't mean that doesn't mean you're losing the trade right away, but I think you're probably losing your ability to be a top team next year if, if you're trading him out because I just I don't know what other frontline center they'd be bringing back. I mean that 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 doesn't really add add up to me. Um, you know, obviously you've signed Nazem Kadri long term. I mean they're in a they're in a difficult spot, uh, frankly, because last year they were sort of retooling on the fly in the summer, and that's part of giving Huberto the eight year extension and getting Kadri as a free agent. You know, you're selling those guys on being competitive, and all of a sudden it just seems like the bottom might be falling out here and, and you've got this, this potential exodus of players and, you know, how you navigate that will actually probably define Conroy's time in Calgary as, as the GM. I mean, that's, that's, that's almost the crazy thing. If you're him that you, that you have this series of pretty big organizational decisions to be made right out of the gate is that that's, that's unusual too. It's not just that it's all happening to one team at one time. It's that it's happening to a front office that, that really is still just taking shape. In a matter of a year, there's a possibility that the Calgary Flames could lose through a variety of different ways. Matthew Kachuk, Johnny Gaudreau, Elias Lindholm, Noah Hannafin, um, Michael Backlund. That's a lot of blood to lose, again, through different circumstances over the course of a year. Like, I wonder what that does for Calgary's reputation. Like, I mean, if you're Craig Conroy and you're Ryan Huska, you get into this job and you're trying your absolute best to to big up the reputation. There's the news of the new arena and all that. And some of those other guys that have been signed to those deals, Mackenzie Weegers in that group as well. But you have all these high caliber players that ultimately wanted to leave, you know? And like, that's, I, I maybe I don't have a real point out of that. I guess I just kind of feel for flames fans out of this, where you're just getting kicked in the nuts a bit about all of this. Like some of these guys who, you know, meant a lot to this team and were high quality players. Ultimately they may want to leave. Like that's, over the course of a year, that is rough. It's rough. It is, and that's also that. I would let's call that the secondary task now for Craig Conroy is is you want to sort of rebuild some reputation for the organization. Um, you know, maybe this probably isn't the moment right now because you're dealing with the, the the very real and urgent decisions in front of you. But over time, you might want to dig into some of the reasons. You know, because everyone has their own reasons. I don't think it's all one thing. It's not like the city of Calgary stinks. Like it's, it's not that simple. I mean, some people might want to paint it that way. I really don't believe that that's the case. Uh, having been to Calgary many times and like it myself, but I, I but I do think they're, they're going to want to look under the hood at, at what is there, you know, maybe ways that they can make improvements internally as an organization. Um, you know, I, I think that there is something to be gained out of this, but, but clearly over time, I mean, I'll, I'll hang my hat on this forever. Players are going to want to play where they think they can win the Stanley cup. I mean, Again, within the, the parameters of that, there's going to be different people who want, whether it's close to family uh, or lifestyle for their family, media obligations or not, um, weather considerations or not. I mean, I think that there are sort of a range of other things that impact why players, you know, sign where they do when they have the ability to make that choice on their own. Um, you know, but 
I, I do think if you have a winning organization, you're always going to attract the kind of players you want. And, and that, that can be the trouble spot. And so maybe part of this too is, you know, people are seeing, first of all, two superstars do leave the flames, you know, last summer, then they miss the playoffs uh, with, with a roster that, that objectively should have been good enough to, to get them there. But a lot of other issues behind the scenes, you do play in an old arena. You know, these, these things can compound in the wrong direction, I guess, is the point when, when you're talking about reputation, all those things. So I think, I think they're going to need to, over time here, try to restore that. I don't think you can do it overnight. And ultimately, it's about getting into the playoffs, winning games, getting into that new arena, you know, finding players in the draft. I mean, now, now this is, you know, things happen quickly, right? The Flames are one of the best teams in the league two years ago. Now they miss the playoffs. Now there's the questions about the core of the team, and you wonder where they go next. We don't even know who's going to be on their coaching staff right now. Like when, well, I, when I spoke, that's a whole that's other thing, okay. right? I mean, I get that's okay, but like, look, Mitch Love was like, like seen as this promising coaching star in the organization. And all reports seem to indicate that he's going to be gone. My understanding was that they were hoping to finalize the coaching staff by the end of the week. And they left the door open for Mitch Love, which was probably a tell that he probably was not going to come back. And now, like, what are you going to do? You have Ryan Huska and who else? Like, it's, I have to admit, if you're a Flames fan right now, you're kind of thinking like, well, what's going on? Like, it's a, it is a bit of a lost, you feel lost right now. Okay. I mean, Mitch Love had options, right? They passed over you. Did. They didn't give you the job, and he had options to go elsewhere. I mean, I think everyone should have expected him to move on, frankly. It's it's nothing – I mean, that's just, just how it works. When when the people you know decide that they don't want you in the position that you've applied for, it's hard to then stay there when you've got other places to go. That's um, true. But look at the man he's going to work for in Washington, Spencer Carberry. He was the AHL coach in Hershey. Uh, which is Washington's affiliate. He came to Toronto for a couple seasons. Then when the Capitals needed an NHL head coach, you know, he, he got that consideration and took a job. So it doesn't mean that he's gone forever. I mean, the, the truth is in the coaching business, unless, unless you're John Cooper and you put a few banners up in, in, the, in the building, you're, you're going to be moving jobs every three to four years. I mean, that's just, that's just what the average is, and it applies for assistance as well. And so, um, you know, I, I don't see his departure as connected to the players to the same degree, but I guess what you're saying is, you're, you're, you're struggling to find good news here if you're a Flames fan. It just seems like every, every development is, is, is a negative for where the organization is directionally headed. And things could change. You know, maybe some, something happens at the last hour and someone changes their mind or maybe a contract doesn't get moved at the, at the, at the draft and maybe that player changes their mind. It's just, just for all that to kind of come out in a span of a couple of minutes. I, I can understand why some people might be feeling a little frustrated and I, and I wonder how the players on that team right now feel uh just i mean yeah, i'm pretty sure they would understand with some of their teammates wanting to leave for other right for other places it's a business but i i wonder how some of those guys feel of course i mean it's it's a big part of their business too they're used to seeing it but it's got to be a little unsettling um you know but this is this is the sport and and as i say these are assets though like the, the flames are going to get players back if they start mm -hmm. moving these guys like it, it's it's not all, I mean, I think that's really what Craig Conroy addressed right from day one when he, when he met you guys on, at his opening press conferences. He can't lose these players for nothing because that's just too damaging long term. Um, so right now they represent assets. They represent other players coming in the door, other picks and prospects, other ways for the, for the team to maybe take a short-term step back but, but get better in the long run. And so 
I mean, when one door closes, another one opens, my friend. It's, uh, it's a fact of life. Uh, anything else we should address with the Calgary Flames before we go to you can bet that? Feels like we felt like we talked a lot on this topic. We, we did, and, and I think they'll be a big team to watch now as we hit to Nashville next week, just you know, seeing what they do with the players. I mean, the time to make a trade, I'll say this, this, this applies to all teams. The time to make a trade is between now and next Thursday. It gets harder. I mean, we see trades happen in the summertime that the, the Kachuk-Huberto blockbuster was, was late July, if I recall correctly. So it doesn't mean mm. there won't be deals in July, but but most of the trading activities, you know, do to unfold here in the next seven days. And so the Flames are, are now suddenly jumping up to the pretty high on the list of teams that we got to keep close tabs on. I think so. Uh, looking forward to my next week being very busy. <laughs> Less, uh, less time in the bar for you this year at the draft. That's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I'm okay with that. Look, if it means I'm getting stuff done, that means I'm getting stuff done. Let's get to You Can Bet That. You Can Bet That with David Bastel. Brought to you by Sports Interaction. Get in the action and make a play. 19 plus. Please play responsibly. Welcome to You Can Bet That. Remember to hit up sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all of your gaming needs. Earlier this week, we were... Uh, picking out the favorites for the second and third overall pick in next week's NHL entry draft. The betting favorite for uh, to be selected fourth is Will Smith. Uh, and w- number five, the Montreal Canadiens have that pick. Uh, Matthew Mitchkov, currently the betting favorite, but David Reinbacker, not too far behind on that. Matthew Mitchkov is at three. Uh, Will Smith at fourth overall, 1.91. Uh, how do you see those picks shaking out? Well, what I'll say is is the consensus from the people I speak to, Julian, seem to think the top four prospects are basically locked in. Um, and so, you know, we're going to likely, if this holds, see Bedard, Fantilli, Leo Carlson, and Will Smith go among the, 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 the top four. And then, you know, where the wild card comes in is when the Montreal Canadiens uh, have to make their pick at number five because Matt Vinmichkov, for reasons uh, I'm sure we'll discuss at more length, is, mm-hmm. is a wild card in this draft. And, and the teams like Montreal at five, Arizona at six, Philadelphia at seven, uh, Washington at eight. They're, you know, I would expect Mitchkov probably goes somewhere in that range. But at this hour, I don't even know if those teams know what they're going to do with those picks. You know, there, there's, you know, a meeting with him next week for a lot of them. And so that's the real wild card. And, and so I, I think based on talent, it makes sense to have him a bit favorite at five. But, uh, you know, the, the Canadians are going to have an interesting choice at that position. And I think that they're probably, well, they, they haven't made it yet internally yet. So it's hard to know exactly what's going to happen in, in a few days time. I still have no idea if I would take Matt Mitchkov if I was in the position of the Montreal Canadiens, considering that he's still going to be years away from being available to you. The Canadians are going to be ways are still ways away from being a relevant and competitive team. Maybe relevance too strong of a word to use here, but definitely they're not at the point where they're competitive yet. But Matvey Mitchkov in that slot, I have a lot of questions. I know, I know you. I've asked you this question if you would do it. I'm still on the fence on whether or not I would pick him in that spot. And with you know, with fairness, there's no, there's look, there's no guarantees in the draft. I mean, probably the closest we have to a guarantee is when you're picking Bedard at number one, you're going to feel good about it. And, and and it's not to say that the other teams will like the players they're going to get, but do they become good players, great players, superstars? I mean, that's that's what the next 10 years are, are going to tell on us. And, and Mitch Cobb, I think, is just more of a mystery box. Um, but, but he's not all that different than other players in that you don't know for sure what you're getting. 
sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN for all the best odds. Before game, in-game, best props, sportsinteraction.com slash SDPN. Hey, happy Pride listeners. We celebrate Pride here at SDPN because we believe that sports are only fun if everyone is welcome. We're also really excited to share that we are once again working with our good friends at the Get Real Movement, and we're joining their fundraising efforts by joining a virtual 5K on June 23rd. The money we raise will be going to Rainbow Railroad. Their mission is to help LGBTQI plus people escape state-sponsored violence. It's an extremely important cause, and we've got a link in the description below. Please check it out and support if you can. And stay tuned as we continue to celebrate Pride Month. We're just getting started. Yesterday, CJ, uh, the next class to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame, was announced. Tom Barrasso, longtime Pittsburgh Penguins goaltender, Stanley Cup champion, Henrik Lundqvist, arguably the best goaltender of the 2000s, early 2010s, Caroline Wallet, Olympic champion, gold medalist, uh, Pierre Turgeon, Mike Vernon, Ken Hitchcock, and Pierre Lacroix. Those names will be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame later this year. Let's get into a discussion about this list. How do you feel about it? You know, I didn't have a ton of issue with the, the players going in. Um, you know, I'm in the camp, and, and it's, you know, it's become, it's become a full roar I see out there about Alex McGillney belonging in. I, I've, I've thought that, you know, for the last 10 years anyway, that, that he, he made sense. You know, I think in the current climate, you know, the fact that he's a Russian player is certainly working against him. You know, you have to remember, this is the, the Hockey Hall of Fame. It represents all corners of the hockey world. It's not just the NHL. And a lot of people involved in the selection committee, um, you know, are very tapped into the international hockey community. And, and let's, let's remember where we're at. You know, Russia's invasion of Ukraine continues. Uh, Russian teams are not permitted to, to play in double IHF sanctioned events currently. Obviously, we've seen tournaments that were scheduled for to happen in Russia moved away. And, and I just think, you know, while over in the NHL, we haven't seen the same amount of, I guess, boycott mentality around Russians, um, certainly internationally in sport and in, in hockey, that's been the case. And so I think that that's probably more than anything what's what kept Alex McGillney out of being part of this class. You know, my other critique would be, I, I don't really understand why we're not getting two women, which is the, the current maximum under the rules placed in the hall each year. Um, you know, had another woman been, you know, elected alongside Carolyn Willette, uh, that wouldn't have affected anybody else. I mean, there's, there's room, there was one more spot there that could have been taken. And just given that it's now been 13 years since women were allowed to be part of the hall or were formally recognized uh, by the Hockey Hall of Fame, you know, there's only been one year out of the 13 possibilities where two, the maximum two women have gone in. There's been four times where no female um, candidates were, were put in, and then now eight times where, where one has gone in. That doesn't make sense to me. I mean, obviously, when you're starting at 2010 and it's still only 2023, I think you're, you're, there's, there's some, you're looking to correct the past, or, or I think that there's, there's certainly more qualified candidates than there are spots. And so, I, you know, I, I don't know how they only ended up at one. And, and you know, I'll go back to the last thing because I, people love to yell and scream about the Hall of Fame. Yes. We don't know. We're not privy to the discussion. It, it makes it very hard for me to, to cr offer more critiques about the individual decisions because it's an 18 person panel. Uh, you know, anyone 
that, that's nominated needs the support of at least 14 members of that panel to, to gain election to the hall. And those, the, the, the panelists themselves, you know, they sign non-disclosure agreements. You know, this is a very secretive process by design. And so, you know, maybe a player got 13 votes that didn't get in and, and we just don't know that because um, this is, this is a private thing. So, you know, I, I think it's, it's nice to see a few more goaltenders go in with, with three in this class. Cause it's, it's probably been a position that's, that's been a little overlooked or underrepresented by the previous decisions. Um, I think McGillney will get there one day, but political climate's probably gonna have to change. And, and there's, there's a backlog still of, of, more than qualified female candidates that I think should be, you know, to a year until, you know, basically that history has been settled. Okay. There's a lot to unpack from, <laughs> from, from that. Cause I, I, I definitely agree with you on, with uh, the fact that there's a cap for women in the hockey hall of fame period is asinine to me. And there should be no limit on the amount of women we induct to, into the hockey hall of fame each year. That's the first thing I think we can all agree on that. The question I have with Alex McGillney is, I see a few people now saying that the political climate with Russia might be playing a role in this, but Alex McGillney, this is not the first year he's been eligible to be uh, inducted into the hockey hall of fame. What were the reasons before all of that? I, I look at his resume. A guy has over a thousand points. But we will never know that. Right. And and that and, leads to, and that leads to the third issue that I have is, is that the idea that like a committee can just, you know, they do their thing in terms of deciding who should go in and we have no idea about their process. I guess that's their prerogative, but it does make it all the more frustrating and in, in not knowing like what's their thinking of who should be inducted or not. I, I would love to see an instance where the Hockey Hall of Fame board says, okay, well, this is the reason why we selected these players or they made it as open as they could be. I would love to see something like that. Yes. I mean, I, who, who would be against that other than them, I guess, because there's a lot more scrutiny, I guess, on the decisions because there's no personal scrutiny here, right? We're not saying... You know, Bob McKenzie's a member of the Hall of Fame selection committee. We're not saying, Bob, why did you vote for this person, not that person? I mean, if, if this was all in the, a matter of public record. That, I that would, would love be, to. Those would be the kind of, well, of course, you, you would love it. And I'm not picking on Bob. I haven't spoken to Bob about this, but, you know, obviously someone I know from the industry over the years. But I'm just saying that you, you in those positions, maybe those people don't feel comfortable if it's public because they might be talking about a former player of theirs, a former boss of theirs, you know, the, there might be those sort of conflicts, which are inevitable, frankly, if you're doing anything within the hockey world, it, it, the, the whole hockey world is one big conflict of interest. I mean, someone has played with someone or known someone. I mean, you go through every team, it's, there's all kinds of stuff like that. Um, you know, I, what I would say about McGillney though, that maybe people don't think about is the actual composition of the board changes a little bit every year, new members come on or off. And so while he was passed over for 14 years now, you know, some people that were on that board 12 years ago that didn't, you know, put them up for election, that's changed. And that's, I think that is the best explanation sometimes why someone might get in way later. You know, Mike Vernon and Pierre Turgeon from this class have both been eligible for a long, long time. And you might say, well, why now are they suddenly good enough? Well, part of the reason could be, I mean, it could be that in time they're viewed a little differently, like with a little bit more lens, you're like, hey, do you know what? That wasn't a hall worthy career, but it's also the people voting uh, themselves have changed over that period. And so that's, that partly, I think, explains why sometimes all of a sudden, you know, someone who's been eligible for a decade or longer get, gets in. And, you know, the goaltenders, you, know, you still think Curtis Joseph, for me, is probably going to get in at some point down the road here, especially now that you've seen three more go in. I don't, I don't know if there's a whole lot of debate here. Barrasso and Vernon were, 
you know, key members of, of cup winning teams. Uh, they won individual trophies. They had longevity in their careers. And, you know, Lundqvist to me, he's, he's the, the perfect hall of famer in my eyes. And I know he didn't win a Stanley cup and, and that, that will, I guess will always be brought up now, but he was a true star, right? And he played in New York and he played there as it turns out his whole career. I know he signed in Washington at the end and wasn't able to continue on because he had the, the heart issue that he did. Um, you know, but he was, he was a true star in a place where, where stars are kind of made. And, and, you know, he won the Olympics a gold medal with his, his, his home country in Sweden. You know, to me, that's, that's what McGillney is. Like, I grew up, I was a kid when he came into the NHL, and he was exciting. Like, he was someone you wanted to catch the highlights. Like, so, to me, it's like you can list the accomplishments and the goals, but he gave you a certain feeling. As, as, as a viewer, and he never played for any teams that I cheered for, but he was someone, again, he was a true star. And, you know, the, the good news, of course, he wasn't just a star for one season and then fade away. He had a long career. He, he, you know, put up those achievements that you were listing off there. And so to me, that just makes him a Hall of Famer. You know, I'm looking for those, those players that, not the Hall of very good, right? You want the Hall of, of exceptional, of great, of, of, you know, someone who, when you watch them play, you were like, wow, I just can't take my eyes off that player. There's something about it's the, it's a combination of achievements and how long you were considered to be near the top of your game. I think there needs to, there's definitely an importance like for Henrik Lundqvist. I think he exemplifies this perfectly where for a long period of time, even if you could say, okay, he's not the best goalie in the world because there was a time when you looked at either Henrik or Carey Price, you could still consider him among the best in the world. And even if you don't win a Vezina every single year or you don't win uh, a Stanley Cup every single year, or in this case, in Henrik Lundqvist's uh, situation, he only went to the Stanley Cup final once, he was still considered to be among the best goaltenders in the league. And I think that plays a huge role in whether or not a guy should be inducted or not. So I don't have a problem with, with Henrik his Lundqvist teams, yet again. His teams were consistently in the mix to be a Cup team Absolutely. too, right? They got the game seven of the Eastern Conference final and, and lost to, to Tampa in 2015. Like stuff like that. They, they were consistently good. We're going to have to get used to this, this Stanley Cup thing too. Like I have news for everyone who, who wants to opine on that. I mean, in a 32-team league, there's just going to be more and more great players that don't get a chance to win a cup. I think that's – I mean, the numbers suggest that unless all of a sudden everyone's jumping around and, and like lottery balls, you know, playing for 10 teams, the great players. I, I, I just think that – more and more players are not going to win a Stanley Cup. And so while that will certainly help the case of someone who has it on the resume and should, I don't, I don't know that it can keep, it should be keeping players out. And, and, you know, so let's get used to that. And, and no one from this generation is going to have Olympic gold medals because we haven't had best on best in the Olympics for so long. So I don't want to open that door. That's like our, that's like our trap door that you and I just like waste the next 15 minutes uh, yelling at the sky if, if we open that trap door. But I just want to hat tip it as we walk on by when we're talking about the Hall of Famers that are from this these years that we're covering the league, Julian. Some of those players are not going to have international hockey gold and, and the Stanley Cup and will still probably be good enough. The odd one, I believe, will get in the Hall 10, 15, 20 years from now with, with, without those main contributions because they didn't get a chance to play for their country enough. And it's hard to win a Stanley Cup in a 32-team league. Just, just put us on the board. Just, just let us decide who gets into the Hockey Hall of Fame, CJ. Why don't we just do that? I, I mean, it's occurred to me that there's a chance in my career I might get an opportunity to do that. I think it'd be very difficult. And I think it's really easy to get in these Twitter arguments, and I think it'd be really hard to sit in that room and 
be tasked with making that decision. You know, I, I talked to you about the, some of the stress I felt, you know, with the Conn Smythe trophy vote. I mean, I, I think mm-hmm. this is even, this is even bigger stress in a sense. I mean, the good news is, is you're not, you're not doing it under a gun. You've got a lot of time to prepare and think about it, talk to people, you know, go through your process. And then obviously there's a process behind the scenes too, but you know, you're, you're looking at someone's life work and deciding whether they met this standard. Um, you know, the, the, that's a lot of responsibility. And, and I obviously would, would be honored if I ever had a chance to do it, but I think it would be tough. I think it would be really difficult um, to, to draw that line. And yeah, that, that's where I'm at. So I don't, I don't know. Be careful what you wish for is probably my, the, the short answer to your, if they just let you and I do it. Be careful what you just- wish for, pal. Just give us a heads up in the group chat on who you're picking, okay? When that day comes, <laughs> I'm probably signing the NBA too, so I don't. I, I'm wow. gonna be no good to you. Wow, the NBA. All right, fine. I see how it is. I see well, how it is, I mean, CJ. By the, I get it. I get it. Oh man, my phone's blowing up. Oh, your phone is blowing up, huh? Today's just today's just a wild day, huh? It just it just feels I, like it, doesn't it? Yeah, it, it honestly, man. Like, and I, I like we were talking about this off uh, off recording, but like, like that first segment that you all were getting to listen to, I felt very scatterbrained, to be honest. Uh, just with all the news, it just feels yeah. like we're on the precipice of some really big stuff. Well, I mean, it's that time of year, right? I mean, we know we can stay with facts. There's going to be trades of some impact in the next week. Um, we're we're really not that far from free agency, so there's moving parts there. You know, teams have to get their qualifying offers into restricted free agents by next Friday. And so, you know, we'll get a few more unexpected UFAs, I would expect, from from guys that don't get their qualifying offer. If you remember that happened last year, for example, Ilya Samsonov became a UFA because the Capitals chose not to issue him a qualifying offer. And so you, you add all that together in a stew, in the next eight or nine days, it's going to be mayhem. It's really going to be mayhem. And so there's probably no good moment where my phone isn't, maybe not blowing up, but at least like, a lot of crap going on here. Well, at least CJ, we know what the salary cap ceiling is supposed to be set at for next season. Uh, someone named Reporter Chris, of course, <laughs> it's you. Uh, Eighty-three and a half million dollars. Uh, just reading off the tweet here: an indication the NHL and NHLPA won't be won't negotiate a higher increase than the one million dollars called for in their MOU. Yeah, and, and, you know, there had been some dialogue about potentially doing that. The sides couldn't find a way to make that make sense. And so they're basically just going by the deal they struck during the pandemic. I mean, that's, that, that's the takeaway. They, they, they couldn't figure out a way to, to adjust the, the cap higher where both were happy. And so they're just, they're just going by the rules that were put in place. You know, what it means moving forward is, and, and you know, I, actually someone corrected me on this. I got it wrong on a previous episode, Julian. But for okay. the future seasons beyond this, uh, the, so if it goes to 83 and a half million next year for, for the cap ceiling. What the, the memorandum of understanding says is that it can only go up by 5% uh, in once the, the, the debt was paid off from the players to the owners. And so that would take, you know, assuming you go the full 5% next year, um, that takes the next salary cap above of about 87 million. And then I think the subsequent season takes you somewhere around 91 million, give or take uh, in terms of cap jumps. And so, uh, of course, kind of the way they could have negotiated it higher now, there's a world in theory where they could negotiate it higher than that 5%, but I, I don't know why they would do that. It's difficult enough, it seems, for the owners and players to see eye to eye on these particular issues. So 
you know, that's probably what we're looking at, assuming the business stays as strong as it's been and, and everything proceeds as normal is we're, we're going to be 83 and a half million, then something like 87 and then something like 91 after. So, so, you know, it's a, as much as it's a good time to be a free agent right now, it's going to be an even better time in these next two years because we're, we're going to see a lot more money flood into the system. And obviously, you know, players at every tier will, will I would think, get, get a little bump in what, they're, what the sort of industry standard is over these next few seasons. For sure. But with listening to the SDP yesterday and, and hearing how the NBA salary cap has gone up to like 130-something over the last few years, like, uh, like it's just... I, I just hate how night and day, and I get we're, maybe it's apples to oranges when you mix the NHL and the NBA, but it is frustrating to see that the salary cap has kind of stagnated as much as it has in the NHL, while other leagues are getting to see that number go up much more significantly than the NHL has. Yeah, I mean, and, and I'm sure it does bother players, but I mean, in, in the NHL, it's tied to revenues. And, and you know, right now, Part of the, what's inhibited it is just basically the pan, they're still repaying the pandemic debt. You know, the good news is it's, it's going to be very close to be wiped out after this season, um, probably within 100,000, give or take. Um, sorry, 100 million. Um, 100,000 would be uh, small enough in terms of the business we're talking about here that that would be easy to wipe out. But I mean, it, it will be it, it, it will be taken care of and then the league can move forward. And, and look, we're not that far off new Canadian national television contracts and some other things. Um, you know, the league has still had fairly decent growth, I would say, but it's just, it's not keeping pace with those other sports. And a lot of that really comes down to media rights. And, and you know, unfortunately we're coming off a Stanley Cup final where, you know, the, the audiences weren't that high um, for for that event. I mean, this is, this is the challenge the NHL is facing, but certainly the other sports have started lacking the field when, when you look at, you know, how many NBA players are paid more than Nathan McKinnon, uh, who's the, the top uh, AAV right now in the NHL? I mean, it's it's a staggering number, and you, same goes for Major League Baseball as well. And one other thing before I mention your trade board, I saw something earlier this week that still kind of blew my mind, and I'm not an expert when it comes to contracts, period, but especially with NBA contracts. There have only been like 10 players in the history of the NBA who have a true no-trade clause. Hmm. Like, 10 of them like the, the the machinations of that are just really really different obviously but like yeah just seeing how the nba kind of operates on different things and no wonder they see so much more player movement but also with the money still going up it's just it does feel like apples to oranges when you're comparing those two leagues sometimes well the nba seems to sign shorter deals too right you have yes. more players that are constantly hitting free agency because the top guys are signing sometimes one and two year contracts which you know, by and large, we don't see in the NHL. I think it, that's a product of how dangerous a sport can be. Um, you know, if you're in cold coffee, you'll choose to, to just mention a recent player signing. You're coming off a season where you had a shoulder injury and a team's offering you eight years of guaranteed money. Yes, you might be losing some money over the course of that eight years on what you could have made, but that's that's pretty hard to turn down, right? That kind of security in a sport where, who knows? I mean, we don't know how healthy you'll be if that becomes a reoccurring issue, that sort of thing. And so I think... I think it's it is an apples to oranges league. I mean, it's natural to want to compare things. You know, they both have headquarters in New York City. They both a lot lot of cities both have an NBA and NHL franchises. Some of them share a building. Um, you know, you're walking through and you see the, the locker room for the Bulls, and then the locker room for the Blackhawks is you know ten feet apart in a hallway. So so it's hard to I guess completely divorce the idea that they're not related. But 
ultimately they are different leagues. They function differently. Having a hard salary cap the way the NHL does is, is makes it different than all, all sports. And, you know, what's interesting, I don't know if you saw the story. It was an athletic story. In Major League Baseball, there's some talk about imposing restrictions on how much teams can spend off the field on, on things like analytics or some of the things they're doing. I mean, you wonder, could that ever be a trend that comes to the NHL? I haven't, I haven't heard anything of that nature, but, you know, maybe, maybe because the sports tend to, to rhyme a little bit or mirror what each other do. It'd be an interesting discussion at the NHL level if it ever came to that, because you know obviously we see teams like the Maple Leafs and others um, that that just spend a lot more in areas that aren't on their roster because they they have the financial wherewithal to do that. Exactly. Uh, so be sure to check that out if you're listening to the show. Uh, from the athletic articles to uh, your articles on North Star bets, uh, you have a trade big board that came out a few days ago. Uh, yesterday you put out 10 affordable veterans to watch an NHL free agency. I want to start with the big board first because, uh, of course, there's some really good names to look out for. Alex Debrinkit, Pierre-Luc Dubois, Connor Hellebuck, Eric Carlson is there, Noah Hannafin is there. There's one name I want to ask you about on that list. Mm-hmm. Have you noticed Pierre-Luc Dubois hanging out in Montreal and, you know, and having the time of his life and going to the Grand Prix and, and, and being at a CF Montreal game yesterday, hanging out with former teammate David Savard. Like, there's, if, if this was another league, people would make a big deal about the fact that uh, a player who is a trade candidate is hanging out in a hometown city that he apparently wants to play for. So I'm very curious about what you think about Pierre-Luc Dubois and uh, what he's been doing over the last few days. Well, I mean, look, he lives in Montreal in the offseason, right? Yes. I mean, all kinds of NHLers live in Toronto that come back that we're not linking them to the Leafs. But you're right. This is a specific circumstance in which we do know it's been an open secret at this point that Pierre-Luc Dubois, one of the teams he would sign a long-term extension with if there was a trade, is, is the Canadians. Um, you know, it's not just the Canadians, though. You know, yes. LA is on that list. And, and there are other teams. I haven't nailed them all down. But it's, it's not just a one- or two-horse race. I mean, I think that there's – there's enough there, but it, that's, it's going to be a tough trade for the Jets to make. Let's just call it as it is. You know, Dubois, 24, turning 25, plays a premium position at center. And if you're the Canadians, and, you know, I don't think the Canadians expect to be all that great next season. Like, how, what are you giving up asset-wise to make the deal today or tomorrow? Where you can just look at it and be like, you know what? We'll be here a year from now when when – Pierre-Luc Dubois is back again for the Grand Prix. He's going to CF Montreal games. And then on July 1st, he can come into our offices and put pen to paper on a contract extension that doesn't require the, the Canadians to give up any draft capital or, or any other things in, in their system to make that happen. And so I think that that's a tension point, right? Like that, that is not, I don't know how you navigate that. Really, the only thing that could get in the ointment of that is if Winnipeg trades him somewhere else and he signs somewhere else in the meantime. He never becomes an unrestricted free agent. Um, and, and obviously the player really dictates those, those type of decisions. You know, I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility. Pierre-Luc Dubois is back in Winnipeg next year, at least to start the year. Um, you know, obviously that's not the focus right now. The, the, you know, the Jets are as they are with Connor Hellebuck and to probably a lesser degree with Mark Scheifele. They're working the phones to see what, what could be out there for their assets. But I, I really get the sense that Winnipeg will be patient if they have to. They're not going to take a deal that they feel is – is not fair from, from their end of it just to get, you know, just to, to trade a player um, like Dubois. And so this this is going to be an interesting one because it feels drawn out already. And as you mentioned, he's hanging out in his hometown, having fun. I saw one picture going around. He was with Cole Caulfield, P.K. Subban. Mm-hmm. 
you know, players are, you know, tied to the, the halves of today and, and of yesteryear too. It's hard not to imagine that, that he could be a future Canadian, but I also don't think by any stretch that Montreal is in a rush to, to make a deal there because you can't blame them. They, they, they have Instagram too, right? <laughs> they know he's hanging out in town. They, they know. know. They know how, that he would want to play there. I mean, that again, it's an open secret. Um, and so, you know, they, that's, that's, that's where the dance is right now. I don't, I don't know how the dance gets resolved. Um, and it will be interesting if Pierre-Luc Dubois, if one of the other teams that's on his list ends up, you know, maybe forking over a little bit more of a trade package and the Jets want to make that deal. It'll be interesting to see, does he decide to remove himself from unrestricted free agency and sign a long-term contract in another city? Or does he maybe wait it out a year and, and as is his rights under the CBA, you know, have, have his choice of anyone who wants him come next July 1st. Um, in terms of uh, other names on that list, I know we kind of mentioned Alex to bring it very briefly at the beginning. Any other more details we can go in on that and anyone else we should be looking out for on your big board? You know, with the it, fair to say that, that the, the senators would like to get a first round pick as part of the package back for them. That's obviously on a timeline, assuming they can get the deal done by, by next Wednesday night when the, the first round will play out in, in Nashville at, at the draft. Um, you know, it's, it's a tough trade for Ottawa because remember what they gave up for Dabrinkit, right? They traded the seventh overall pick in last year's draft uh, to Chicago along with uh, two second rounders in order to get him. Uh, they, they, they had him for a season. So there's, you know, they did gain some value there. But with him not wanting to resign, you know, I think it's a tough trade to make and get back kind of commensurate value to what you paid. Um, but I also don't think if you're in Pierre and shoes, you can focus on that. I mean, really it's about getting the best asset now. And, and my sense is he's been working through the list of short list of teams that he has, um, you know, talking to teams like the Dallas stars, like the Detroit Red Wings to, to see, you know, what he can get back um, in a trade for Debrinket. And so, you know, for that one, I'd say let's really circle Wednesday as kind of a deadline. Again, it's not, not to say they, they can't go into next season with them and movement at the trade deadline or some, you know, they might pivot in another direction, but I think there's a, at least a push on, uh, to try to get the deal done and maximize the return uh, by the draft in his case. Um, you know, the Connor Hellebuck situation is interesting how it's going with, with the Jets. I mean, I think the question for Hellebuck is what's he going to get paid? I mean, if you look at the goalie market, and, and we'll remove Carey Price for the purposes of discussion because his career appears to be over with injury, you, you have Bobrovsky at $10 million, You have uh, Vasilevsky at $9.5 million. Then you fall all the way to John Gibson at $6.4 million. This is the top paid AAV goaltenders. And shortly behind that, you have what Connor Hellebuck is today at roughly $6.1 million. And so clearly, if you're trading for him, you know, I think he'll be looking for a raise. But what kind of contract do you give him? I mean, there's not a lot of comparables out there. I, I can't imagine, and I don't know this for sure because I haven't campaigned 31 teams, but I can't imagine anyone's lining up to give him the, the money to put him at the nine and a half, 10 million mark where the top two players are now. But, you know, is someone willing to give him 7 million say, and is that enough for him? And so I think the contract will dictate that trade uh, to some degree. And so you have a lot of that on this board. I mean, we can even hit names like Brett Pesci still discussing an extension with the hurricanes, but they're, they're thinking they're going to move him if he doesn't get one. I mean, right down the list, there's a lot of that dynamic out there in the league right now. And so a lot of these situations where you have big names and, and they're, they're listed high on the trade board. They, they could just as easily stay put because I think that there's a little bit of a dance going on. Okay. Uh, what about from your list of the 10 affordable veterans to watch in NHL free agency? Let's try to plug some of those names out of that. 
yeah, I got a soft spot for the old guys, you know that. So, you know, and there, basically I, my unofficial criteria was anyone that's 35 and up um, that still wants to play in the league that, that will probably reasonably sign for league minimum or maybe 1 million, one and a half million, but, but pretty low uh, cap hits. And, and really a lot of these players are chasing a Stanley cup in, in, in a lot of cases. And so, you know, the names that I put on there off the top of my head, we had Corey Perry on there. Um, you know, he's, he's, man, no one's had more championship heartbreak than Perry with, with losing in the Stanley cup final three straight years, um, 2020, 21 and 22. Um, you know, you've got Phil Castle. Phil the Thrill wants to be back, my man. He's uh, I mean, he was a free, frequent scratch in the playoffs for the Vegas Golden Knights, but that didn't actually impact his NHL leading Ironman streak. He's got the longest streak in history of consecutive games played. He wants to, to play next season and keep adding to that uh, and certainly isn't satisfied even after now getting his name etched in the cup for a third time and uh, having his buddies over for tater tots with it. I saw that photo bouncing around. <laughs> <laughs> um, you've got uh, Eric Johnson, defenseman uh, in Colorado. Longest tenured Denver athlete is going to hit the open market. The Avalanche aren't going to bring him back. Um, you know, again, I'm thinking at this stage, you're looking at a third pairing guy, but someone who could help. You've got Milan Lucic, who you saw play a lot last year in Calgary. I think he'll have uh, some interested parties. Again, you're, you're bringing him in as a fourth liner, but when the contract is low, I mean, you can get value there. You know, a name I'm curious about is Zach Parise. Uh, he seemed to indicate at the end of the season that it was Long Islander bust for him. Basically, he's retiring or returning to the Islanders. But when you look at the year he had, a sneaky good year. He hit 20 goals again uh, in his late 30s. You know, other than Joe Pavelski, you're not seeing other people do that at this point in time. And so I wonder if you're a contender, if you can lure him back uh, and, and maybe, you know, have him play somewhere else. I mean, we'll, only time will tell there. But, you know, th- those are kind of the, the flavor of the names. I had Ryan Reeves on the list. Um not a lot of Ryan Reeves is around. Like if he, you're bringing in something very specific with him, I think he holds people to account inside his own dressing room, obviously polices the game in a certain way on the ice. He, you know, he actually had his highest fighting major total last year in seven or eight years. Um, so he's still willing to do that tough part of the job, even as you get to older age. And so that, that's kind of where I got to with that. So just tried to have some fun with finding some, some, you know, basically good value candidates, really. I mean, it's not just that these guys have, big resumes or have won elsewhere or can, can add to your team. Um, I think that they actually still have present day value because for the most part, they're going to sign pretty low cap hit deals. All right. Uh, both those articles can be read at northstarbets.ca. Uh, great work, Siege. Do you have any stick taps before we wrap up? You start, my man. I was hoping you would because I was looking to buy time for mine. <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping for that, man. Tell you, look, this show has just been this. This is what happens, man. When you get a show like this, where just you're getting news and you're dealing with all of that all at once, sometimes you're 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 missing stuff. Um, I, I guess I'll just give a stick tap to 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 the Hall of Hockey Hall of Famers getting in this week. That being said, you can't give a full one because the process still needs to be changed. It's a weird. It's a cross check and a stick tap. A stick tap for everyone who was able to get in. Uh, but a cross check for the process. We still can't be in an era where there's a cap on women getting into the Hockey Hall of Fame. It's an absolute ridiculous thing to have happen. And there were other people like Jennifer Botterill and Fran Ryder, some other candidates uh, for an opportunity to get into the Hockey Hall of Fame as well. Like we need, there should be no cap on women getting inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. The fact that it's been a little over a decade since they've been allowed in is still very weird to me. So we need to improve that process. So a bit of a stick tap for the players that got in, 
but mostly a cross check for the process. I'll give my stick tap to the Hershey Bears who won the Calder Cup in overtime in game seven yes. on the road at Coachella Valley. Um, you know, pretty exciting series for them. And they're the last meaningful game of hockey played at the end of the season. It's funny, the AHL, the Calder Cup always comes after the Stanley Cup. And so that was the last meaningful game that we'll see played basically till September when the European leagues get going. And obviously we're returning to NHL training camp. So uh, stick tap to the Hershey bears uh, on winning a title and hope we see some of those players graduate to the NHL next season. We were very close to having the Vegas golden Knights win a Stanley cup and the Coachella Valley firebirds, the Seattle Kraken AHL affiliate win a Calder Calder cup, like good time to be an expansion franchise. It looks like. I guess so. I mean, and Coachella Valley too is, the best regular season team or second best anyway, right at the top of the league all year long. So um, great year for Dan Bilesman there. I wonder if he'll start hearing his name as a coaching candidate. And of course, Jess Campbell, who's the first female assistant coach in the AHL was on his bench uh, as well. And um, you know, you can't get any closer than losing a game seven, you know, 16 minutes into overtime on home ice. I mean, it must've been crushing on their end of the things. Yeah. And they almost had a, a between the legs goal win it for them in OT too. Yeah. Really wild stuff for the firebirds. All right. You got to go get yourself a nap, my man. Uh, we gotta, we gotta do some. I gotta go work. Oh, damn. <laughs> damn, that's true. Yeah. I, I, I packed my bag for, for Nashville, by the way, just so you know, it's ready. It's ridiculous. No, it's not. It's not ridiculous. I like it's to be insane. prepared. It's not insane. I don't even know that's... where my suitcase is right now, let alone putting anything in it. Go find it, CJ. You need to be on your game. While CJ good. gets packed, while CJ gets packing for Nashville, you listening or watching at home, uh, send us your questions for Ask CJ. Uh, we'll try to get to them on our next episode. And subscribe to the podcast on YouTube. Um, uh, subscribe to the podcast, Spotify, Apple, wherever you listen to podcasts. For CJ, I'm Julian. So long and enjoy the madness. The Chris Johnson Show, powered by Sports Interaction. Wanna bet? Inside the game, twice a week. Follow Chris on Twitter at Reporter Chris. And follow Julian McKenzie at JK McKenzie. The Chris Johnston Show.